Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Hello and good morning. I know you've been welcomed multiple times, but I'd also like to say welcome. It is the end of January 2022. Yes? Has it been a good month? It's been a month. And here we are on the brink of February, ready for great new things. Yes? Yes. Um, My name is Jennifer and I'm part of the team. My husband was just up doing the offering and we actually got to do Edmonton, a service in Edmonton. It feels like forever ago, but it felt like it was that again. It was kind of cool. For those of you who are part of our Edmonton service, I know that you felt that and we just love that. There's so many of you that are grafted and rooted in this house that you have come and made this happen here. Thank you. It is so awesome to be able to gather. Like Jer said, it's a privilege for us to be able to gather in this space and to worship. There's something about actually bringing our faith and putting it all in the same place and glorifying the name of God that actually is so pleasing. And it reminds us that those gates are open, that heaven is open, and that we have access to something that is beyond this reality. And like Jer said, there is another reality. And that's kind of actually where I'm going to today is this other reality that we can be aware of and be a part of in our everyday life. And we've talked a lot about everyday life kind of things because we're looking at this book called Habits of the Household as we're looking at this this series um, or going through it. And we've talked a lot about habits in the last three years, I would say, maybe even more. And the truth is, is that habits are disciplines that actually create an everyday authority that we take over the space in our life. And what's true is that spiritual practices, disciplines, habits, they actually say, you know what, enemy, there's a very real enemy and he belongs under your feet. And so you have to say, this is what I'm doing with this space because he will happily take over the no man's land if you let him. And that's what we have to remember. Habits are important. They're actually essential as followers of Jesus to remind us that we are going to defeat the flesh, which is really hard sometimes. And we are going to push back and say, this is God's territory, not yours to the enemy, right? Yes, habits are for everyone, not just the select few or those people. They are for you and me. They're for us to practice on a daily basis. And I remember when I really had this like realization in a big way that habits or routines were really important was when I brought home my first child from the hospital. It was like, oh, now what? (sighs) I guess I have to like learn a new rhythm and new habits and new routines so that I feel some semblance of control in those early early months of having a newborn. And then, you know, I just kept having babies for five years. And so it got even more and more important that it's like, we got to have rhythms and schedules. Otherwise, I feel 
I can't do any of it. And, and it's all working fine until they're teething or they're, you know, you go on a vacation or those kind of things happen. I feel like it's the same with our habits. It's like I'm doing so well and then it's Christmas and it's doing so well and then it's like, oh, it's my birthday or whatever. And, and so we get kind of off track, but we have to be reminded that, you know what, those are moments, but how do I live daily that's going to create this fruit in my life and remind me of just the disciplining of the flesh that needs to happen for my life to be healthy and whole. And one of the chapters in this book, which is where I'm going today, is on play. Play of all things. Isn't that great? Play. Who likes to play? Yes, playing is fun. It's enjoyable. And, and we think it's like when you look at a schedule of a child, I remember reading a book and the, the schedule for a newborn, they gave this acronym EASY. It wasn't easy, but EASY. E-A-S-Y. You know, they would eat and then they'd have activity. You basically keep them awake and then they'd sleep. And then it was you time. Like you're supposed to refresh and, and get some things done. You know, this, this is the rhythm. And I'm like, well, that sounds easy. Yes. And as an adult, I very oversimplified. I thought, you know, we kind of have these rhythms that are similar. It's like eat, activity, eat, activity, eat, activity, sleep. That's the sum total of kind of life. Um, but I, I was observing and I thought, you know, for babies and toddlers and children, activity was play. It was this expansive space where there was new adventures and you would kind of create and learn and grow in this space of play. And as an adult, it kind of gets swapped out for work, which makes sense because, I mean, work is how we make money. I mean, you don't get paid to play. I mean, some of you maybe do, but most people, you have to work. And work is a good thing. We even learned that from the very beginning in the Bible where in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, there was work. Adam and Eve were still working before there was sin, before there was a curse. And, and it's like, that is an important fundamental part of life. And there's a chapter on work as well in this book, and it's great to remember to work. But I also kind of was like, I wonder if Adam and Eve, Eve, Adam and Eve played. And it's like, well, yeah, it would be so awesome. I'm sure they frolicked through the forest with the fawns and the whatever, rode the lions. I don't know. It would be so great. And laying on like the carpet of grass and looking at the stars, it would have just been like, wow, in a perfect temperature all the time, constantly. Yes, we love Eden. So they would have played, I imagine, and there could have been this creative space for them to learn about a very important characteristic of God. Now, in this Habits of the Household book, it says this quote. It says, It is entirely possible to unconsciously indoctrinate our children, and I would say us as adults, to believe, into our broken view of the world that life is fundamentally about what we can accomplish and there isn't time for much else. So the idea that play is actually something we should leave space for in our habits of a daily or a weekly rhythm, is this actually important? And that's true. It's a, it's a good question in any season of life. And I know as a parent, as I said, well, I didn't say, but I have four children. And when I feel like there's a lot of shoulds that happen when you're a parent. It's like, I need to get them 
properly educated and choose the right form of education or else I'm going to irreversibly screw them up. And I better encourage them to get good grades but not push them too hard. You know, I wouldn't want that. I want to encourage them to live an active, healthy lifestyle, but I don't want to be one of those parents that create so much control that when they leave home, they live on junk food and play video games all day. You know, I don't want to put too much pressure on them. I want them to know how to deal with their finances and how to spend money and save money and give money and give them, you know, appropriate tasks for their age and ability so that they can have money to learn how to be wise with it. And I want to get them around the right people, around good friends. And so they'll be able to be, be have a strong friend group and great peers and, but also teach them how to, you know, relate and talk to adults and ask good questions and be able to respect and honor the elderly because after all, you know, they've paved the way that they can even live on this earth. And so I want these kids to be able to respect and honor the, the elderly and be good babysitters, of course, be so good with children and attentive and fun and playful and gentle with animals and considering all the four R's, reduce, reuse, recycle, and recover when they're trying to make decisions about purchases and how they're going to spend their money. And then if I'm a Christian parent, oh my goodness, they have to read the Bible every day. They have to memorize scripture, go to church at least once a week and make sure they're doing their devotions and they're getting around God's word. There's worship and Sabbath in your home and they're praying at any time they're called upon. They only laugh at appropriate content and they they take time to spend with Jesus and remembering that he is good and that they would um, be generous to a fault, kind and considerate to all people, that they would have all these things that they would be active and working in their life, the fruit of the Spirit. They wouldn't lose their minds or get overly angry because they have that fruit of the Spirit working in them. And as a parent, oh man, I better model the best kind of habits, doing all those things myself, you know, watching like screen time, like JD talked about last week. You know, it's like that I'm monitoring that for myself and for them and my own devotions and my own taking family time and one-on-one time with your kids because, you know, when they're considering even relationships with the opposite sex, well, I want them to stay pure and I want them to make sure they're making a commitment to stay pure. And so you better be intentional about being real with them and stacking the deck so that they're making all the best possible choices. And it's easy to make great choices and it's really hard to make bad ones. Does anybody else ever feel that way? (laughs) There's a lot of shoulds. And even if you're not a parent, you feel that pressure of the shoulds and the coulds, and then we somehow live that onto other people around us too, that they need to be coulding and shoulding all these things too. And how important it is that there's definitely no time to play. Because after all, play is just a frivolous waste of time that creates messes and distraction. And it's not really good for anything. I mean, the definition of play is actually to engage in activity for enjoyment and recreation rather than a serious and practical purpose. Well, the definition itself says it's really not important. I know for myself, I like vacuum cleaners and blenders as gifts. I am a practical person. I like useful things. Anybody else? Yes. I like, I like practical things. It's so important. So then play kind of feels like, eh. But then you read about play. Well, guess what? It builds imagination and creativity. It fosters cognitive growth. It delivers emotional and behavioral benefits. You know, teaches cooperation and working with others and making decisions. As you watch kids play, that's what's happening. It improves literacy. It encourages greater independence, promotes physical fitness without getting them to the gym on time. So then as a parent, you're like, oh, 
Well, they should. They have to. They have to play, and it just becomes another thing on the list of shoulds that I need to do because I want them to turn out right. You know, I want them to be an independent, successful, healthy, whole, happy, holy, wonderful human being. Yes, that is the goal for my children and for myself. And so is it really important to play? Well, today I want to challenge you that God's idea of maturity is different than our own. He has an idea that actually includes this idea of play. Because there is this important factor that comes in. You know, when we take time to rest and we take time to play and have like great inputs coming into our mind, there's something that's sparked and it's called the imagination. I love, even that word is kind of magical, isn't it? Imagination. You know, imagination is where things, where inventions come from. You know, the seat you're sitting in, the thing, what you're wearing, what's on your feet, what's in your hand, those are all out of someone's imagination. They were created because there was a space and time where there was room to be able to wonder and adventure and consider what could be. It's where dreams are dreamed and where visions of what could be actually happen is in the imagination. And have some water. Ah, imagination increases after your mind has been exposed to a problem and is at play. And do you know that you are first born in God's imagination? In Genesis 1.27, the very beginning of the Bible, it talks about how God, in his, in his image, he created man and woman. He created us. He created them. And the root word of imagination is image. It is in God's imagination. He saw you, and then he created you, and then he breathed life into you. And you became a man or a woman, to walk out your God-given calling on this earth. And we have characteristics of God. He made us in his image. Therefore, that imagination that God had to create us, how amazing and awesome it was, it's in us. It's in each one of us. And often, obviously, we see it more sometimes when at the young stages, but it's still there. There is a redeemable part about your imagination, which means, like Jer was saying, that there is another reality that is existing right now that we actually, as children of God, get to be a part of and connected to, and it is when we consider that there's something beyond this world that we are able to tap into that reality and where things get crazy and get creative, which is so awesome. And I often see this, like I said, in kids. And I mean, teaching preschool, you see all sorts of things and and hear all sorts of imaginary worlds, which is so amazing. Like you can go up to a little kid and be like, oh, what's in my hand? What is it? Oh, it's a snake. Oh, is it purple? Oh, does it have green spikes down its back? You know, like they can go all day. And it's so amazing and incredible. And that's actually a God-given ability to imagine. And my daughter, Jaden, she's 15 now, and she's always been a very creative girl, which is why like, I brought up some of the things that she made because I was like, I just, in my mind, I don't have that. And she just has an incredible gift to like 
see pieces of fabric and leather and make a saddle and a saddle pad and a bonnet and a halter. And, and like this, it actually has working buckles made from like, I don't, in wire and things. And it's just like amazing to me. You know, when she, when, when I see a pile of popsicle sticks, she sees a house for her hamster. And she's created, like, this is a dragon she created out of Lego that she, of course, painted wings and built for it. And she's made so many things out of Lego without instructions. I'm like, I, I, I can't. How? She made this vest. That's why I'm wearing it. In case you guys were wondering why I look like I'm maybe going to battle or something. Do I look like Elena Balova? No? Okay from Black Widow. Anyway, she watched the show once and just like, I'm going to make that. And so it was like out of pieces of binders and metallic paint and things, things that became a creation because she had this space to create and wonder what could be. And I love that. And, and for each one of us, you know, what is it? What is that design that, you're, that you want to create? Or what is that, that new business venture or that ministry, you know, as you minister to, to people and to children and how you're able to reimagine and have a, a renewed vision for what could be? That is what our imagination can do. This um, Christmas season, my, my son and I, my son is 10, and he's the youngest, so 15 and 10, there's four. So, like I said, a lot of babies. And now they're grown up, growing up. But my son, we were out like building a, a house in the woods. Well, the woods, like a wooded area in Sylvan Lake. There's not really woods. But, and we built this, this house, you know, with a... a couch and a chair and a and a fireplace and a kitchen and it was so fun and we were having a great time playing and then on our way home Kobe said this to me and he didn't know I was preaching on imagination I was like this is so timely anyway he said you know mom I have a great imagination I have a whole other world I can go to anytime I want whether I'm inside or outside at Grammy's house or here at, at home and I was like that's it. That's why we need an imagination to know that there is a reality. I mean, that takes an imagination to think that there could be a, a whole nother existence of that which is good and perfect and beautiful and right and that which is about to be fulfilled with Christ's coming. That all takes imagination. It takes something beyond just the what we can see here and now, which is like not looking so great at times to believe that there's something more. C.S. Lewis says this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And what's so cool, I'm actually reading a biography on C.S. Lewis, and it was actually J.R.R. Tolkien, who, Lord of the Rings, if you know who that is, you know, they were friends, and Tolkien was a Christ follower, and C.S. Lewis wasn't. And Tolkien basically he challenged his ability to imagine. It's like Tolkien said to C.S. Lewis, it's like you, have, you can believe in myths and fantasies and they're amazing and you can get captured by them and emotionally invested. And yet when it comes to Christianity, you're completely logical. And it's like that you can't imagine that someone who lived 2,000 years ago and died made it so that you could live forever free, without sin, forgiven. And it's like, engage your imagination. That's what he said to him. And that's what created 
that the, made the decision for C.S. Lewis where he's like, you know what? I'm going to believe that. I'm going to engage my imagination to believe there is another world. In Habits of the Household, it says, in the story of God, we were made for another world. Children are the ones humble enough to believe that there is far more to reality than there seems. So children are the ones who are humble enough to see beyond this current reality. And we see that in our kids. I've been reading even different stories of Holocaust survivors, and it was because they had a vision beyond the fence that they actually lived through it, that they were actually able to conceive in their imagination, you know what, I'm going to be seated around my table with my family again. That's what got them through, is having a hope beyond what was the here and now. And who can teach us about imagining again? And it is children. It truly is. This scripture is so powerful that I wanted to share it with you because it really reminds us again of how Jesus sees children and sees even this ability of a child to think beyond what is here and now. And this is, um, the disciples actually came to Jesus. So the disciples were the ones who followed Jesus. The disciples were the ones who were with Jesus when he taught and walked along the road, when he laid down, when he did miracles. They wanted to learn everything they could from Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher. They wanted to know what Jesus said about everything. So they came to him and they asked, who is considered to be the greatest in heaven's kingdom realm? Jesus called a little one. You can just picture him to his side. And he said to them, learn this well. He said to the disciples, unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable and learn about heaven's kingdom realm with the wide-eyed wonder of a child, you will never be able to enter in. Whoever continually humbles himself to become like this gentle child is the greatest one in heaven's kingdom realm. Isn't that powerful? Like a child to in wide-eyed wonder say, Jesus, what are you going to do next? I can't wait to see what you have in store. I can't wait to see what will happen in this situation because you are so good and I know you're good and I know you're faithful. So what's it gonna look like? Help me to be humble and teachable to you, God. In Matthew 19, um, in the New Living Translation, this is another time when Jesus has an encounter with children specifically and it's a day when parents are bringing their kids to Jesus. Again, a parent should. If Jesus is walking physically on this planet, you bring him to Jesus because he's going to lay his hands on them and that's going to be awesome. But we have to know and believe and imagine that he is here as well. And we bring our children, we bring ourselves into the Father's presence and say, God, let this transform who I am by being in your powerful presence. And when the parents brought the children to Jesus, the disciples said, oh, stop bothering us. We have adult things to do. We are adulting over here. We have no room for children and their deal. Who they're, they're yeah, you know. Yeah, words, I have words. But they said, send them away. They're bothering us. And Jesus said, uh-uh, don't stop them. Let the children come to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he blessed 
them. Jesus had the audacity to tell the disciples, stop it. Those are mine. Those are the ones that we need to learn from. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is like, learn from the children, be like the child, you know, having the temper tantrum in the grocery store. It's like, throw all your pride away and just let it out. Just scream it out. You know, that's not, we know that children are still fleshly, human, sinful beings. If you're a parent or have been around any children, you know that is true. And so Jesus isn't saying, be like that. But what is he saying? Be ready to learn, teachable, wide-eyed wonder of a child, a child who looks and says, what are we going to do now? What's going to happen now? And have that type of awe in his greatness. Be gentle and humble. Now, when it comes to imagination, there are two sides of imagination. There is the dark side, stay away from the dark side, and there is the light side. So first, the dark side, there is that, that, oh, this could happen, this could, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And basically, it becomes anxiety. You know, fear plus imagination gives birth, and there's the baby anxiety, and that's what you live with. Pastor Mike Todd said that, so good. We can live in that, in that space. Like, what are we letting run around in our mind? What is the narrative that is going around in our mind on a regular basis? And is that healthy? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, casting down imaginations. So that tells us there is imaginations that actually need to be brought down and shut out, thrown away. Because it says, Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bring it into captivity. Every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Bring it under Christ. Is this what I need to be dwelling on and focusing on? Is it causing healthy things to come out of my life? You can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from making a nest there. Right? Yes. It's like, what kind of nest do you want to be building on your head, in your brain? Let's think on the right things. And Philippians 4, 8, that is a powerful verse. J.D. shared it last week. You know, brothers and sisters, whatever is good and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy and admirable, think about these things. That's what we need to be, again, meditating on. Those things that can create that input that actually gives birth to healthy imagination, to healthy ideas. Number two, the light side. Ephesians 1.18, and this is a passion translation that I'm reading out of, and it's so good. I read this scripture and I was like, man, so awesome. And I pray this over each one of us in this room. And those of you who are online, joining us, being intentional, being here, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. You know, when you turn on a light in a dark room, it's just like things are seen. We have the ability to see things that we couldn't see before. So let the light of God illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. He wants each one of us to have a revelation of the hope that he has, a hope of his calling, an anointed imagination. I love this definition. This is Pastor Mike Todd. The anointed imagination is the ability to create new ideas 
or pictures not present to the senses that God approves and empowers us to live out for his glory. So having an imagination that comes under the submission of Christ. And then there is, there's an ability to imagine, maybe it's loving your spouse again. Maybe it's getting along with your, your brother again or your sister or believing again that, you know, your aunt and uncle are going to meet Jesus and say yes to Jesus and following him and their lives are going to be changed. Maybe it's imagining again that I could have a healed body, completely healed and, and ready to serve God in the capacity that he's given me. Can you imagine again, remember that God will stir that in us to have habits that are functioning healthfully. Can you imagine? Wow, where could you be? Now, imagination obviously isn't some miracle like you imagine it, you think it, and it'll happen. That's not the way it works. But we know that under God's anointing, under his lordship and surrender, we can then know how to work it out because that's what purifies the imagination is intercession or prayer. So when you have those ideas and thoughts and dreams, bring them before God and say, God, what do you think of this? Is this your will? Let that part stay and the other disappear. An anointed imagination. Finally, I just want to share quickly four characteristics of childlikeness. Because if we are meant to be, be people who are imagining and dreaming and, and having visions for our future or for new ideas or being creative, well, we can look at our children and say, huh, how, how do you do that? Because there's something we can learn from kids, that's for sure. And four characteristics. Number one is trust. Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. When you become an adult, you start leaning on your own understanding because we understand so much. We, we learn things, we gain a lot of knowledge, but we have to remember that we have to trust in the Lord above our own understanding. We have to acknowledge him in all of our ways because he's gonna be the one who makes that path straight. That's what he says. That's, that's a promise from him. Kids, you know, you can do trust falls all day with them and they will keep <laughs> because they trust completely. They trust you. And God wants us to trust him completely, our heavenly father. Number two is being present. I feel like kids are masters at this. When I play a game with my kids, they are not worrying about, you know, what are we going to have for supper or that phone call I forgot to make. They're just there in it for the game together. And JD even talked about this last week, that idea of, you know, working with our devices even so that we can engage and be present with our kids. But remembering in our relationship with Jesus, be present. There is a power that comes from being present in the presence of Christ. When we actually take that time to be present with him, there is power that comes with that presence. And number three is dependent. So like I was saying, maturity by definition in our culture is definitely grow up and be independent. And that is that's a great goal. I mean, I want my kids to all, I mean, they all wipe their own butts now, which is great. 
But you know, you get to that stage where you're like, it's going to happen. And then now it's like, one day they're going to have their own vehicle and be able to pay for that vehicle and, and the bills and, and their own food or things like that. And you're like, it's a great thing to become independent. But with God, he wants us to have a dependency on him, like a little child who's dependent on you for the food and the clothes that they wear for so many of just everything about keeping them alive. They are dependent on you. And we are meant to be dependent on our father in that capacity to be humble and teachable. Just like that scripture said, that's what Jesus calls us to. And number four is they imagine. Kids imagine. They have the ability to imagine that they're somewhere else, even though they're right here. And which is why you have to be gracious with kids when you're like, okay, it's time to eat. They're not here. They are not, like you are, they're physically there, but they are not present there because they are somewhere else in their imagination. So you have to be gracious and we can learn that from them. How to be almost so captivated by the presence of God that we are in this space where there is creativity, where there is, there's, there's this new adventure that we want to um, imagine because we learn how from our kids in wide-eyed wonder. We just look and say, wow, what could you teach me now, Jesus? What could it be? You know, it takes an imagination to believe the very real stories of the Bible. You know, that there, there was a man named Elijah who actually just went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. He didn't have to die. He just went away. It's so powerful, like to imagine those stories. And Jacob, you know, he actually saw angels going up a ladder, up and down, ascending and descending, in and out of heaven, and that he could do that. And, and the kids are just like, yeah, that's so great. There's this guy, his name was Jonah. He got swallowed by a whale and puked up on a beach. So crazy. Those are real stories. And as an adult, we have to get past some of our logic and imagine that those are real stories. It takes an imagination to believe, like Jer was reading, in the resurrection of Jesus, that there is a Savior who came to this earth, he walked in the flesh, and then he died so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have new life, so that we could have access to that reality, that which is here and now, that it has begun. When Jesus stepped on this planet, he said, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here and now. It has begun. So imagine that Jesus died for you and that he was able to take the sin of the world. Anything you'll ever do wrong and anything you've done wrong to this point, he will take it. And he says, just be mine. Come to me. Be dependent on me. Trust me. Imagine with me the future reality that I've, I've set out before you, the hope to which I'm calling you. Let that be in your heart. Let you be, let, that you would be stirred to imagine again, to become like a child. You know, of all the things God could have called us to be, he called us to be children of God because he knew that we had to humble ourselves to be teachable, to walk under his authority and be dependent on him. 
I want you all, we can stand, stand to your feet right now, and I'm just going to pray over your imaginations that, uh, for business, for life, for inspired hope for the next thing, and for even what you're standing in right now, that you'd have that ability to, again, become like a child, be humble and teachable, wide-eyed wondered what could happen. And so I just want to pray over you right now. God, I just pray. I thank you that you're in this place. I thank you that in your presence, God, there is this clarity. There is this ability to see things beyond what is sometimes right in front of us, God. Those impossible situations, God, you say are possible through you, Jesus. We just pray right now. I just pray over the minds of each one in this room, God, that they would have an anointed imagination to believe again, to see again that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are with them. You are the beginning and the end and you're right in the middle with them, God, and that they can have the capacity to be able to see new things again, to create again, to love again, God, to believe again. Jesus, we just thank you that you are here. You are so good. And we're just going to take one more moment together and we're going to pray because there are people who have not yet said yes to following Jesus or are feeling stirred and need to renew that commitment to following Christ. And this is a moment, this is the day of salvation is what the scriptures remind us of that today can be that day of connecting with that new reality story because it's your story if you want to be a part of it. It totally is, and it has one that is filled with a hope and a future. So we're just going to pray this together. You can repeat these words after me this morning. Jesus, I thank you for my God-given life, that you created me in your image, that you called me your own, that you call me to yourself right now. I say yes to you. I say yes to following you. I thank you for forgiving me of everything I've done wrong and everything I will ever do wrong. I receive your new life. I receive your hope and I desire to see what you have in store for me as I follow you. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.